You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. And welcome to another episode of Driving Law. I am Kyla Lee at Acumen Law, and with me, yet again, even though I wanted to demote him last week, my co-hostist with the mostest, Paul Dorishenko. You can't demote me. I can so. I suppose you could. It is your podcast. <laughs> um, big week. It's been a busy week. Been a crazy busy week for us, and it's heading into our busy season when it comes to impaired driving enforcement. There was, after Dr. Bonnie Henry announced the most recent like restrictions in the Lower Mainland that that applied to the Vancouver and the Fraser Health authorities, the you know stay at home, don't go out. Um, there was a bit of a lull I saw in new driving-related files in our office. Yeah, I think less people are driving, and we're not seeing the same thing that we saw at the beginning of the pandemic, which was people driving really fast, uh, and police officers, every police officer out on the road. You know, we, we noticed at the beginning of the pandemic, back in, in end of March and April, that there was no police officers in the detachment, none of them at the Tim Hortons, obviously, um, so there were lots and lots of traffic enforcement, and we were actually getting a lot of new files. Nothing we could bill out, but new files. <laughs> yeah, and then I have noticed, though, in the last sort of week since she expanded the restrictions to cover the entire province, that the number of new driving files, IRPs, and and impaired driving, and driving while prohibited, and traffic tickets has gone up. Yeah. Which is um, weird. Yeah. people shouldn't be out anymore. No, I know. I noticed the traffic's been lighter. I've been surprised how heavy the traffic was over the course of the pandemic months since we see basically uh, COVID fatigue. Um, I think, you know, some people are getting it. When I look at the, um, you know, the parkade where I park my car at the office, it's less than 20% full. Um, I mean, 20% off of like its height. It's never been full. It's very rare that it's actually full, but 20% off its maximum like amount that I've seen in there. Um, but um, yeah, it's still somehow people getting caught driving and, and doing things. Yeah. Very, out in the world. very interesting sort of the way that like from how we're able to measure whether people are staying at home or whether people are going out the way that there's this announcement effect of the new restrictions that wears off after a week. I think a lot of people just don't pay attention. I think a lot of people don't, they're not, you know, you are on there every day at three o'clock to listen to Bonnie Henry um, and to get the numbers and you're, you know, from three until 3.15, I don't even bother trying to talk to you. Um, <laughs> but the, um, you know, the rest of the world isn't doing that. The, I, I don't think they're paying attention. I mean, they should be paying attention when you look at, the Dakotas and Alberta, where they want field hospitals because they've been unwilling to mask. Um, and Jason Kenney says people should have the freedom to mask protest, mm-hmm. leading to violence and ridiculous numbers of cases and so forth. Um, 
Interesting for us, of course, is that we've been running a trial during the middle of the pandemic. Oh, my God. And um, Has that not been stressful? It has been very stressful running a trial in a pandemic. People testifying with masks on, judge with his mask on, us with our masks on, and um, trying to sort of do it differently. It's going to be one of those things that's going to be burnt into our minds, probably PTSD from running trials in the pandemic. Can I tell you, like... I- I'll be sitting there taking notes as a witness is testifying. And then all of a sudden, I'll realize that I'm wearing a mask. I'm separated from you by a sheet of sheet plexiglass. Of plexiglass between us. You're separated from the prosecutor by another sheet of plexiglass. There's one between you and the clerk. There's one between the clerk and the judge. The clerk's in a mask. The judge is in a mask. The prosecutor's in a mask. His, his co-counsel's in a mask. Everybody in the room is in a mask. And the witness is testifying, and they're in a mask, and we're in a pandemic, and we're in a courtroom, and what are we doing? And oh my god, like I have these moments where I have this like sudden realization of everything that's happening that has been like suspended from my mind because I've been focused on the trial. And it's like these moments of panic, like I feel like I can't breathe, I get hot. Well, I was cross-examining a witness and I was looking across the courtroom trying to see the witness and I realized like, why can I not see the witness? This is so weird. I'm, you know, I'm used to walking up to witnesses in the witness box and presenting them with documents and doing all of this. And I've sort of planned so I didn't have to do that, but I realized, why can't I see the witness? Oh, it's because there's four sheets of plexiglass, four (laughs) sheets between me and the witness. And then I'm getting a reflection from the window behind me reflecting off four sheets of plexiglass and so I could only see the witness if I like got myself in the exact position where there was a post there and I realized holy shit I have no idea like I can't gauge the responses I can't I have it's hard to control the witness it's hard to even you know remember where you are when you're just trying to figure out if you can see some little tiny inch and a half window through which you can see the witness and you're you know you're you're trying to cross-examine but at the same time you've got reflections of yourself like almost 360 degrees around you it's like doing your cross-examination in front of a 360 degree mirror (laughs) sure you feel like you're in the fun house of mirrors like you're conducting your fun house trial and then you're you know every (laughs) once in a while like i I go to breathe in because i'm going fast and i like suck my mask in yeah um and um you know, then I, there's other times I've realized I'm sitting there and I've sort of stopped breathing because I'm just getting, I don't know, tired of breathing with a mask. So Hot I just stop. I just stop breathing <laughs> there, and I'm like, oh, it's like sleep apnea in the middle of the day. I I really wonder, like, is everybody else in the courtroom having these same moments, moments? of where you're sitting there thinking, oh my god? And then the other thing is, of course, you're still we're still whispering to the prosecutor. We lean behind the plexiglass yeah. to whisper to the prosecutor. You know, a foot and a half from their a foot and a half from their face. Yeah. Uh, And you know, so the prosecutor now basically is in our bubble. The other prosecutor, there's two of them there. They're in each other's bubble. There's the full bit. You know, the um, it's 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 a weird experience uh, running a trial in a pandemic. I don't want to do it again. No, I also don't want to do it again, but. Based on my schedule, I probably will have have to, yeah. Well, I mean, I've done some sentencings where I've been in court with the mask on, quite a number now, and I've I've found it weird and awkward, And uh, but it wasn't when there was mandatory masks, so I had judges with or not masks and and with. I guess now we're all mandatory, so we'll see where that one goes. Anyway, weird. It is weird. And And it also doesn't feel... It, 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 I guess just because it's different, 
to me, it doesn't feel right. Like it doesn't feel like we can get the evidence out the same way. We've done a pretty good job, I think, but it just doesn't feel like it's the same experience. And it's not the same experience. It's, it's just different. Like everything else, I guess. Yeah. You also, you know, you have to wonder too, like when is it all going to end? Like, you know, Bonnie Henry today, talking about how they have a vaccine rollout plan and they're going to have vaccines starting to be administered in a matter of weeks, but they're only going to go to the, you know, the people with the long-term care residents, the elderly, the frontline healthcare workers first. Well, and I was listening on CBC that the, the India makes most of the vaccines for the world and they calculated in order to make 500 million doses, it would take 27 years. So like, <laughs> Oh shit! You're I can't do to this yourself, for twenty-seven years. I know you're sitting there. Th- well, I mean, of course, obviously they can ramp it up, but like our our capacity to make vaccines in this world is clearly not what it needs to be. And you'd think that they would have thought about that nine months ago mm-hmm. because they knew that they need to make a vaccine. But apparently, you know, like some of the com- the companies will do great, even if they charge a very small amount for it. It's a huge number of of doses that they'll be making. But I mean, making enough for India, making enough for China. Yep. You know, making enough for, for Brazil, making enough for the United States. Well, we're nothing. And and Dr. Henry said today, we're not easing restrictions and, you know, taking off our masks and tearing down plexiglass until we have sufficient vaccination that we have herd immunity. Well, that's, you know, maybe a year away. I can't I do this for another year. I know. I know. I know. I'm going to quit and go home. <laughs> yeah. I just keep thinking that I've, I'm done with trials, and if I can't do it by Zoom, I don't want to do it. You, you, you think you think cross-examining a witness? No, and... I'm saying I can't do that by Zoom, so I'm not going to do it. I'll <laughs> let somebody else do it. I, you know, if I've got files where I can plead somebody guilty, fine. But if it's a trial, I'm just going to, yeah, I don't want to be the lawyer anymore. I don't know. I'll leave it to you. You can do it. Oh, goody, thanks. Will you at least come so you can take notes for me? My hand gets so sore taking notes. <laughs> I'm the last person in the room who's like still doing it handwriting. You are too, but everybody else is typing. And I can type pretty fast. I mean, I probably could type almost as fast as I write, but I can make all these other little side comments, arrows and things like that that I can't. The other thing about handwritten notes is, and I think people don't realize this, the muscle memory of actually writing it implants the information in your brain. Whereas if you type it, you don't get that muscle memory. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. I also don't high, high underline things if I'm typing it. I just type it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I underline things. I draw arrows so I remember why I wanted this to go a certain way later on and how this related to something else that I just don't do when I'm typing. So yeah. when I handwrite it, it's better. Also, you know, I always note that during the course of a trial, my handwriting improves. Oh, well, there you go. The yeah. next week at the office, people will be happy to see the things you write. Exactly. Um, Anyway, that was a very long introduction, but it kind of relates to our first topic, which is it's beginning to look a lot like counterattack. Yeah, it's uh, Saturday is Impaired Driving Enforcement Day. Yeah, the big day. In Canada. National Impaired Driving Enforcement Day. Um, So expect some uh, roadblocks out there. No. No, it's not fifth. the 5th. December 5th. <laughs> I don't know. All I know is it's Saturday. It's usually the first Saturday in December, and it's to try and discourage people from drinking and driving over the holiday season. And it's going to be very interesting to see what we see with drinking and driving over the holiday season because uh, even in Quebec now, they've said, uh, as of tonight, 
the Christmas parties are over. So yeah. they had announced earlier, oh yeah, you can still get together and have a small group. Now it's, no, the only group is you can visit your one relative who lives alone. And the the British Columbia has already said, there's not going to be a normal Christmas. You're not traveling for Christmas. You're not, you know, you're, you're maintaining no your Hawaii for Christmas. pandemic bubbles. So... I don't Hawaii see... doesn't want you, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, Hawaii's restrictions on incoming people are, are pretty lax if you're Canadian. Yeah? Yeah. Um, not that But they've got very low COVID. ...are going to Hawaii for Christmas. Nope. Um, the point is, though, that counterattack is starting. People are not having the same things that the counterattack season is aimed at. The Christmas parties, the Hanukkah parties, the... You know, all of those other parties, the family gatherings and get togethers, the office parties. The office party is the is probably the biggest oh, driver man. of the I uh, love the office party season. Yeah. You like it because we get busy. Yeah. There's lots of work. But I also like making you pay for a nice dinner for everyone in the office. <laughs> We've had some pretty good parties. We have. Yeah, no party this year, so everybody ended up getting more in their Christmas bonus. Yeah, where's my Christmas bonus, Paul? Yeah, suck it up. Suck it up. It was gee. a pandemic. Wow, okay. Well, maybe this year. You're of all the years, partner maybe in the firm, you can... you'll get me a Christmas present. Listeners, did you know that Paul has never gotten me a Christmas present? I don't believe in it. I am atheist. Every year, I've gotten Paul a Christmas present. And my Christmas presents have been pretty great. Hmm. If I remembered any of them, I would uh, I would know. Can you remind me? Wow. Of I mean, I might I might remember if you remind me. Wow. I got you a Star Trek cookbook. Oh, that was pretty good. Yeah. I got you Never some cooked anything out of it. But... Really nice grappa. Did you give me some grappa? Yeah. Oh, I got good. you a drill that you still use. Really? A drill? Yeah. Oh, good. Well, was I probably used it around the office. Was it a drill? I bought myself another circular saw this year for Christmas. So I have two. Oh, okay. So you don't believe in Christmas presents except for yourself? Mm, well, because <laughs> I know what I want. But I mean, I wanted a circular saw in the office. Ah, uh, okay. We're a law office without a circular saw most of the time. And I had to keep bringing my circular saw in. And I just find there's, you know, some two-by-fours and circular saw is a handy thing to have in a law office. Anyway... Um, maybe you'll get a Christmas present this year. Maybe I'll give up on you. I haven't decided yet. I've been doing this trial. I can't shop. Um, the important thing, Paul, is there's not going to be anything for counterattack to enforce. Well, you think that. I mean, I think people are going to have uh, illegal get-togethers. Uh, I think people are going to make stupid decisions. I think some people are going to, uh, I mean... You know, we were surprised at how many people were driving after drinking at the beginning of the pandemic and yeah, but consistently all the way through. I mean, it did drop. But The government has been saying it's not the vast majority of people that are out there violating the rules, having their illegal get-togethers. It's a very small group of people. Well, I mean, I guess we can be hopeful that um, that people will abide by the rules and abide by the law and we won't be that busy. I would welcome the break. So then... Let me ask you this. Do you think that it's appropriate at this time of year for police to be spending all this money on counterattack operations, which you know involve overtime hours, extra officers, when that could be, in these circumstances, dedicated to things that police could be doing otherwise, like, I don't know, racial sensitivity training 
or better training on how to handle sexual assault complaints or maybe brushing officers up on the charter of rights because well, it seems to be a problem these days it does um the uh yeah i suppose i mean the, the hard for them to do training in the conventional way um i would happily give any officer a I, zoom yeah, session know. on the charter i know um no i mean the uh should they spend the money in a different venue you're asking me now um you know i i have never noticed the huge increase in enforcement i think it's the similar you know it's it's only up maybe 15 or 20 percent it's just that um really? they announce it you do you defend more irps at christmas than you do any other time of the year that's true. That's true. But is it that many more? I don't know. I guess like We're I, I frequently double booked for all the hearing slots in a day. That's true. Okay. So we go from being, we're booked usually at 110% mm -hmm. and we're booked up to 140, 150%. So yeah, I guess it does go up. Um, it's just that I'm, you know, Christmas time, I'm sort of mentally prepared for it, I suppose. Okay. So but 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 you're saying should they spend that money on enforcement? Should they? Yeah. Um, I I don't see why it would be different. Um, I think people will still drink and drive, and I still would like to the discouragement factor of visible roadblocks. Well, then here's my second question for you: Knowing what we know about COVID and transmission, and police not wearing masks at roadblocks, and the particular risks of transmission through ASDs, is it appropriate to be doing more roadblocks and to be participating in, in counterattack during the pandemic? Well, I think I'll say the thing that I said before, that it's fundamentally to me unsafe to use an Alcosensor FST once in a 24-hour period, bearing in mind the fact that we have a pandemic. They need like um, a little UV light that they can shine, put it on those little ports and shine into the device that wouldn't be bad i never thought of uv lights i don't know that it would damage anything i'm sure they could test it and find it's out really quickly cell. how could it damage anything i don't see how it could um so they could do that i think they could uh, pull their old alco sensor for dwfs uh, i think they've had plenty of time they should have had them ready to go they should have known they should have sent them in for service and they should have them at the roadside in circumstances where a person's providing two samples they could provide one into an fst and one into a dwf and a DWF is still an approved screening device in British Columbia. A DWF has a one-way valve that mm -hmm. protects the uh, the subject who's blowing from sucking a pathogen back off of it. It vents out the back, so it prevents the officer, protects the officer from exposure from a person's breath. That's what I think they should have been doing. They should have done it months ago. I talked about it months ago on the podcast. There's police officers who listen to it. The idea is just sort of the obvious no-brainer to me. That's what they should have been doing. Good point, Paul. <laughs> now, speaking of testing people on AlcoSensor FST devices and uh, IRPs, Alberta. Wow. It's finally here. Well, as is often the case when they have a conservative government, when they do something, they do it, and then they do it wrong. But they yes, do it. They do it dumb. They do it dumb. So they've got their new um, immediate roadside prohibition scheme, which they came up with a different name. Yeah. And wanting to sound scary, uh, it's called the IRS, 
wanting to sound scary and American. Yeah. It's called the IRS. Oh, no. The IRS got me. The IRS is after me. An immediate roadside sanction. The immediate roadside sanction program in British Columbia. So mm-hmm. they've got uh, IRS fail. Now, it's it's not... Looking at the legislation, it's kind of really, really open. And it it's, talks about impairment. And it talks about a police officer with reasonable grounds. I've looked at the legislation and I cannot see great limitations on what evidence they're going to use and how that police officer is going to come to reasonable grounds. But um, the consequences of this thing are like insane, insane, like disproportionate to the crappy evidence. BC should relinquish its title of the strictest impaired driving laws in the country because they do not have that any longer. No, but that's not something that should have ever been a point of pride in any event. Yes. Um, we punish you harder than anyone else. Yeah, with with worse, shitty worse, evidence. worse evidence and a, and a inadequate review system and a, yeah. and all of those things. But now Alberta has just decided, you know, hold my beer. So Alberta's <laughs> like, you get your 90-day suspension right away and you're off the road for 90 days, no matter what, as long as you blow a fail or provide a sample in excess of 80 on an approved instrument then or anything else that leads the police officer to have reasonable grounds to conclude that you're over 80 like it's it's so vague then after that you lose your license for another 12 months but this isn't a 15 month suspension it's a 90 day suspension plus a 12 month suspension and you can get rid of the 12 month suspension if you want by participating in their ignition interlock program and installing an interlock in your device for in your a vehicle. year. Yeah, yeah, interlock device in your vehicle. So think of all those people in Alberta. Like, did they even think about it? Think of all those people in Alberta have to drive multiple vehicles. Mm-hmm. Lots of Alberta resource extraction. You drive to work in your personal vehicle. Then you get into a business vehicle. You drive the business vehicle. You drive the business vehicle somewhere. And then you have to drive a different business vehicle. Yes. Um, and that is the life of many, many Albertans. And this is an interlock in any vehicle you drive now for a year after the In addition <laughs> to the interlock and the 90-day suspension, you also have to complete the planning ahead course, which is basically like the responsible driver program. And you have to complete it within the time frame for your license suspension. If you don't do that, then you continue to be suspended until the course is completed. In BC, you just have to register, and then you have a year from when you've registered to complete it. And a $1,200 fine in BC, and they full-on call it a fine. Well, it's not a $1,200 fine. It's a $1,000 fine and a $200 victim fine surcharge. And a 20% victim fine surcharge. But Paul... Oh, and your car's impounded for 30 days. But Paul, let me ask you a question. Can you have a victim fine surcharge for something that is not an offense? Well, that's a very good question, Kyla. And I think it's one of the many problems that uh, I see on the face of this. But, you know, I looked at the legislation when it was first proposed. I didn't look at the third reading version. I've gone on the basis of the Alberta government's uh, material on their website But let me tell you the most disturbing thing about this. Mm -hmm. The most disturbing thing. There is a uh, contract that is implied, that is written here, that if you apply for review of your immediate roadside sanction, you thereby 
waive all rights to sue the government if they screw you over. And I'll show you the contract, Kyle. I don't know if you've seen it here. I'll pull it up on their main uh, website. is hilarious because they've got a picture of a European tow truck towing a European car. Um, not really like Greta Thunberg might recognize that tow truck and car, but most Albertans won't. Um, but there is this contract, the Registrar Reconsideration Terms and Considerations for conditions. the program, terms and conditions for the program, and you release and indemnify all representatives of the Alberta government forever and discharge Her Majesty the Queen and the right of Alberta and the Ministry of Transport and all her ministries and departments and anybody if you decide to apply for a review. Interesting. And this is fantastically creepy, like so creepy. I think it arises from the experience in BC. Yeah, well, we did sue Road Safety BC on a file here, and we lost. They successfully struck the pleadings because the superintendent of motor vehicles has an immunity. But we also sued Road Safety BC to get all of those interlocks removed, and we had 11,000 interlocks removed. But that wasn't removed. a lawsuit. That was a petition to the court. That, yes, but then after that, we looked at suing on behalf of clients who were forced to have an interlock unlawfully. That's true. And then they and paid they everyone out. And they paid everybody out by splitting up the class. So what would have been a class action lawsuit ended up being the class so split up. I mean, they, they thought about it. They were terrified and in panic uh, because they would have been on the hook for tens of millions of dollars. But here, the Alberta government has made it. So if you apply for a review, you are, you are thereby agreeing to waive any right to sue the Alberta government. If you don't apply for a review, then you haven't used your remedy, well, so you can't do anything. Also, you're agreeing that they can share your name. They're collecting all of your information when you file your application for a review, for, for reconsideration, and they say in this contract that they force you to sign, the information that may be shared is limited to your name, organization name, contact information, geographic location, business activity, product, or service. So they can say, Paul Doroshenko at 210-837-BD-604-685-8889, Doroshenko at gmail.com, you are a person who got an immediate roadside sanction, and we're publishing it. And they can publish it. for They can disclose it to Stats Canada, to anybody in the Alberta government for the purpose of research, statistical analysis, program integration with other programs, ministries, boards, or agencies, program promotion, as in advertising, and they can disclose it for the purpose of public awareness on government websites for information and analysis in response to inquiries from the media or the public, meaning you're FOIable, reporting to interested MLAs, we know how creepy some Alberta MLAs are, or other government ministries or agencies. So basically, you apply for a review, you get your immediate roadside sanction, you lose your review, your review hearing's there. They can publish everything online to embarrass you, especially if you're a critic of the government, I guess, um, and you cannot sue them. <laughs> the, 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 they're doing this like, I, 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 I you know... Albertans, apparently, according to Jason Kenney, have a right to protest. Uh, you kind of want to pick up your pitchfork and your flaming torch and go down to the Legislative Assembly. Um, 
<laughs> because I, I can't believe that they're doing this. So if you get an immediate roadside sanction mm-hmm. um, and it's upheld, they can use that for their advertising, and, government information. And if you file for review, it's real shitty for you because the process takes forever. According to their fact sheet, if you want to dispute your license suspension, you have to appear in person at an office or registry agent to obtain complete and file. No, no, that's the old one. You're looking at the old one. Oh, The okay. new one is within seven days, you've got to apply for a re- review. Yeah. Your hearing takes place within 30 days. Yeah. Um, and um, then uh, they, render, or they render a decision. The hearing takes place within, within 21, 21 days, days, and they render a decision within 30 days. But they can extend the time to render the decision. Sure, and they'll do the same thing as BC, but they try to tie it up to make it sound like it's like the, it's the trick, right? It's the trick, it's the trap. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the, uh, the sort of suggestion that you'll get your car back at the end of 30 days at the end of impound, and you'll get your license back at the same time. Um, and there's a active attempt here to try and, just like we saw in BC, discourage lawyers from getting involved so the way you dispute it is you're given a qr code by the police officer it's probably a qr code that's unique to your prohibition but we'll have to wait and see one of these will come through our door at one point Uh, and then you've got to have a special counsel form filled out um, in order to do it and they're trying to trap you by collecting as much information uh, right from the start and this is one of the things we see in bc uh, it sort of suggests on government websites that if you're going to dispute your immediate roadside prohibition, have all your stuff together when you go down there, uh, and therefore you hand it in before you've even seen your disclosure, and the information you provided is now uh, going to undermine your case. And it's public record. And it's now in, in Alberta, it's public record. So, of course, they publish these in Alberta too, right? They're going to be published on oh, Canley. Yeah. And people's names are going to be published in the paper. You know, the oh, list yeah. of impaired driving name and shame articles is going to go out. Oh, yeah, they could do that, too. MAD can publish it. I guess that's why they want to do it. It's just to appease MAD. MAD can create a website that says, you know, John Smith of of uh, 14321 uh, uh, Spruce Grove, Alberta, received an a, uh, IRS on, on December 8th. Yep. Now, what cracks me up about their little comparison chart where they're trying to talk about how great this process is. You know, it's so easy to file for a review and also it's so easy for the police is they say that a police investigation documentation and testimony in a typical impaired driving investigation can consume five to eight hours or more per file. Bull fucking shit. First of all, most impaired driving investigations are completed in fewer than two hours because you're supposed to take the samples within two hours of the time of driving. In Alberta, it's even faster because they have those buses with the breathalyzers on them they have everywhere. Sure, and they they don't do the correct scientific method of taking the samples. They don't delay long enough. They don't have the same observation periods. So, bullshit. It's not five to eight hours or more. And the documentation that they prepare in Alberta also does not take five to eight hours. Like a page and a half long narrative, which is what the officers write, does 20 not. minutes. That's 20 minutes. Well, there's an interesting thing. Now, here's an interesting thing between the Alberta rollout of this and the BC rollout of this, and that is that um, the um, the BC rollout was full on, we're not doing this to try and take them from court. We're not doing this to try and save money. We're not doing this to try and deal with, you know, police officers taking time. This is just... 
purely because it's for the better, the greater good. We're not yeah. doing it for money. And Alberta has come along and said, no, we're doing it for the money because it costs money and we want to get $1,200 from everybody. Well, that's and for we're your doing first this one. It's 2000 plus 20% for your second well, one. Well, that's the other thing. In, in BC, they said, no, no, there won't be a second or a third. Yeah. And in Alberta, yeah. they've been they've been presenting this uh, you know, online and whenever they've been talking about it, uh, all the media are getting press releases saying that this is only for first-time people, one-time offenders. But in in the new Alberta legislation, they have three stages for th- three times that first, you can get. You can you can be a chronic drunk driver in Alberta uh, because there's there you know it's one two three it's four strikes. You you can before only be out. a chronic drunk driver in Alberta up until your third time, at which point you're required to have an interlock for the rest of your life. Yeah. Yeah. Roadside sanction. Get your, get your kids to blow in the Roadside breathalyzer. An investigation that takes minutes, according to their own publications, interlock in your vehicle for the rest, rest of your of life. Rest of your life. I know. Yeah. Life sentence for minutes of police work. Way to go, Alberta. Anyway, you know, you were asked uh, by Ryan Jesperson. Lots of podcast talk this week. I noticed David Eby's got a podcast. Ryan Jesperson's now like got a full on his own TV station. Mm-hmm. Um, created his. He's already got four thousand followers on uh, on uh, YouTube on his YouTube station. That mm-hmm. didn't take long. Um, I can't believe he wasn't snapped up by somebody else. Maybe he was. Maybe that's what, how this works. But in any event, um, the. Um, you waved your hand and now I lost my point. You were not getting to your point. I had a great point. What was it? Podcast talk, Ryan Jesperson. I was asked something. Uh, mm, I don't remember, Kyla. You okay. cut me off. I That's had a great okay. point I was going for. It's okay. David Eby's got a podcast too. He was one of your podcast favorite podcast guests. Now he's got a podcast. I haven't listened to it yet. But Paul, the reason I'm cutting you off is because I want to get to your favorite part of the week. It's the Ridiculous Driver of the Week. The Ridiculous Driver of the Week. Woohoo. Good and one this week. I love, actually, this Ridiculous Driver that you found. You texted me while I was watching a movie about ridiculous driving. Specifically... Harold and Kumar go to White Castle, in which a ridiculous adventure ensues while Harold and Kumar try to drive to White Castle. Well, you and I were at a White Castle. Yes. Um, and we were at a White Castle in Ohio or Indiana. It was in Indianapolis. Indianapolis. And that the particular site. White Castle was the site of a um, three judges getting into some sort of a brawl. dispute brawl with some people and i don't know if there was a shooting but it was yep. it led to yep. uh one of them got it shot. led to a bunch of disciplinary stuff and apparently the judges were all lovely people and but it always happens so often seems to happen at a well, white castle they were just worked up because they just left the strip club and now they wanted to get some white that's castle. true the judges had been at the strip club <laughs> um you can't make this shit up so we went as a uh well you wanted to go and i agreed to go as your chaperone to uh, check out the White Castle there. Yep. And uh, I'm just lucky that we didn't uh, get in a fight with some people from a strip club. We did not. Instead, I ate a White Castle burger for the first time ever. We took photos outside of the awesome uh, I think brawly. I, for whatever reason, I refused to go in. 
Yeah, you refused to go into the White Castle. I just didn't want to. You didn't want to. Well, you I was waited thinking... outside in the cold in December in an Indian um, Indianapolis. Well, I took in the ambiance of the White Castle parking lot because uh, yes. it was, you know, a historical location. But now there's another historical White Castle, Paul. What happens? It's in Louisville, Kentucky. And uh... in the Louisville White Castle, the mayor of Shively, Kentucky, was arrested for driving under the influence because she crashed her car in the parking lot of the White Castle. Yes, so she's in the drive-thru as so many good, uh, ridiculous drivers of the week start in the drive-thru mm -hmm. and apparently falls asleep. Um, police attend, allegedly impaired, but I mean, you know, we'll wait to see, innocent until, until proven guilty. Uh, but um, when they, uh, uh, when she was awoken, awakened, Awakened. When the police knocked on the window to try and uh, get her attention, apparently she then drove into a post. A telephone pole. In the White Castle parking <laughs> lot. And that knocked out the phone system for half of Virginia. This was in Kentucky. Whatever. Okay, I added that last <laughs> point. Anyway, ridiculous driver of the week, a mayor, allegedly drunk, in a White Castle parking lot. Can't get any better than that. My favorite. Pretty good. Pretty good. So we had about five other topics to talk about, but I think we're I know, pretty we're much out of, out of time. time. Paul. I'm sorry. Well, the Alberta IRS system is um, is going to occupy my mind, and I have to tell you, Alberta lawyers who are listening to this, um, we were getting calls from Alberta media to talk about it, and of course that makes some sense. But really, like we can't be the ones who challenge your scheme. You have to be the ones who challenge your scheme. We would love to talk to you about the many, many things that we've done over the years to give you some heads up and maybe give you some guidance on doing it. Because mm -hmm. I can tell you, we've learned where to do it wrong and where to do, and it, where right. to do it right. And it would be useful to pick our brains because it's free to talk to us, especially if you're a lawyer in Alberta wants to challenge this because it's ridiculous. It's the ridiculous law of the week. It is. And that's our podcast. If you need to get a hold of us and you missed Paul Doroshenko's contact information in the middle of the podcast, you can find us online at VancouverCriminalLaw.com or give us a call 604-685-8889 and tune in next week for another exciting episode of Driving Law. Also, like, subscribe, and share with your friends. If Ryan Jesperson can get 4,000 uh, subscriptions or subscribers in a week, we should be able to get, I don't know, 10. Thanks a lot. Bye.